Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Leviticus chapter 19. This chapter appears to have been designed almost like a sermon or a public lesson on holiness. Some Jewish scholars refer to it as a mini Torah. It repeats all of the Ten Commandments and expands upon several of them, and it provides a sort of summary of Old Testament holiness. The introductory words suggest that it was intended to be read aloud to the entire congregation. So it was a sort of public catechism. It tells the covenant community how they ought to behave as the people of God. Structurally, it is organized into 16 distinct paragraphs of various lengths, all ending with some version of the phrase, I am the Lord your God. That ending serves to mark off discrete sections, but it also serves to remind us that holiness is ultimately about imitating the character of God. Hebrew scholar Baruch Levine says here, commenting on the first use of the phrase, you must be holy. The verse is distinctive in that it provides a rationale for the commandment. Israel must be holy because God is holy. To have a close relationship to God, the people must emulate God. Close quote. Just as the king's court is to observe and emulate the character and behavior of the king, so too the covenant community. This is who God is, and these are the behaviors that he delights to observe among his people. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So again, this is intended for public reading, public instruction, public catechism, we might even say. This is something that is to be read publicly to the entire congregation, and it has to do with behavior that accords with the character of God. Verse 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. What an interesting place to start. Scholars offer a variety of explanations for the order and groupings, but it does seem that the first four paragraphs have to do with religious duties and obligations. And therefore, we must understand this first commandment to revere mother and father as a sort of primary religious duty. The use of the word revere here instead of honor, as in the Ten Commandments, has a strengthening effect. The word revere is generally used to talk about a person's fear of the Lord. To revere is almost to worship, and the fact that it is placed side by side with the command to set aside one day of the week to worship God strengthens that association. The Tyndale Old Testament commentary comments on this paragraph by saying, The honoring of the Sabbath, which has been replaced by the first day of the week in Christian teaching, furnishes a regular opportunity for the believer to worship God in the company of others and to contemplate the extent to which his or her life accords with the demands of divine holiness. The reverencing of one's parents as surrogates of God is but one step away from the venerating of God himself, closed quote. And of course, if you think about it, this association makes sense. 
we learn how to worship God initially by learning how to trust and obey and love our parents. In addition, as Christians, we can add to that the fact that Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly and honored the Father continually. So if holiness is about imitating God, then obeying and honoring parents has to be a part of that. So we revere our parents and we worship God on the Lord's Day and every day. That is the beginning of what it means to behave as the people of God. Verse 4, do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. The Hebrew word for idols literally means non-things or non-entities. In Hebrew, it rhymes with the word for God, Elohim. So it's obviously a bit of a pun. It was a way of saying that there is God, and then there are a bunch of fakes, imitations, and deceptions. But the people of the covenant must not be taken in by such things. We are to worship God as he has revealed himself to be in his acts of redemption as interpreted by his authorized spokespersons. He is who he is, as he said to Moses. God is who he reveals himself to be, so accept no substitutes. Today, we might say, worship the God of the cross, worship the God of the Bible, and have nothing to do with cults and contemporary imaginations. God is who he says he is, and he is who he reveals himself to be, thanks be to God. Verse 5, when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. I mentioned back in chapter 7 that some commentators suggest that the reason the peace offering had to be eaten by the worshiper on the same day that it was offered as a sacrifice was to encourage sharing. Rather than storing up the leftover meat so that you could eat some tomorrow and maybe the next day, far better to invite your friends. Better still to invite the poor to come and enjoy the feast with you. Make it a special day and include as many people as possible. By reiterating that commandment here, side by side with the command to leave some gleanings in your field so as to help the poor, strengthens that interpretation a great deal. Again, it's interesting to note how God orders and prioritizes these concerns. He says, here's how you behave in a pleasing way. First of all, revere your parents. Second of all, make worship a priority. Thirdly, Make sure you're worshiping me and not the God of your own imagination. Fourth, be kind and generous to the poor. That's an interesting start to this conversation. I'm not sure how many of us would have started there, which is another reason why we need to let God speak for himself. Verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. 
I mentioned above that the first four paragraphs are often thought to have to do with religious duties and obligations. The next four paragraphs appear to have to do with good neighborly conduct within the covenant community. The first paragraph here in verses 11 to 12 has to do with the need for honesty. You can't build a healthy community on lies. We need to live in the light. We need to respect property. We need to deal fairly. We need to speak uprightly. Nothing less can be acceptable from the people who represent the name of the Lord. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Here we're talking about consideration toward the weak. God is compassionate, therefore his people should be compassionate. It, it's sad that we have to say it, but compassion is not a dirty word. There is a warrior class in Christianity today that tends to talk as though compassion is simply the opposite of courage. They appear intent on stigmatizing something that is actually essential to the character of Jesus Christ. The Bible says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Christians should lead the way in concern and care for the weak and the vulnerable in society. That isn't weakness. That isn't Marxism. That is behavior and conduct that accords with the character and commands of God. Verse 15. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. The concern for compassion, as communicated above, is here conjoined to a concern for justice. We are to be kind to the poor. We are to have compassion, but not to the extent of being preferential in matters of justice. All people should be treated equally in the eyes of the law. This is where the idea of blind justice comes in. The rich should not get preferential treatment, and neither should the poor. The matter should be decided on the basis of evidence. Don't be a crusader. Don't ever lie to bring about change. Just tell the truth. Maintain fair standards and let the chips fall where they may. I am the Lord. That is a system and approach that accords with my character. That's what that closing expression means. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Again, these four paragraphs, paragraphs five through eight, have to do with good neighborly conduct. Good neighbors are honest. Good neighbors are compassionate. Good neighbors are just. And good neighbors are loving. That's the focus here. Don't allow yourself to sit and stew on some offense you have against your neighbor. If there's a real issue, then go and talk about it. Don't plot revenge. Love. Love your neighbor as yourself, meaning treat him as you would like to be treated. Give him the benefit of the doubt because you like it when people give you the benefit of the doubt. And don't read too much into things because you don't like it when people do that to you. 
If you do that, you might discover that there really never was any cause for offense in the first place. It was just you being silly and oversensitive. So let it go and move on to love. Love is it. Love, as Paul says, is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13, 10. Good neighbors are loving. Thanks be to God. Verse 19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man, and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you, it must not be eaten. And in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. I love how Gordon Wenham introduces this paragraph. He says, This section proceeds from the sublime to the ridiculous. At least that is how the transition from love of neighbor to prohibitions on mixed breeding strikes the modern reader. But in Israel, both were aspects of holiness. Quote. That's true. They were both aspects of what it meant to be holy. But why is that? As modern readers, we understand honesty, we understand compassion, we understand justice and love. But what is the deal with mixed breeding and mixed sowing of seeds? How is that a thing? Why is that a thing? Wenham goes on to explain, This ban on all mixtures, especially mixed breeding, shows man following in God's steps. He must keep separate what God created separate. As God separated Israel from among the nations to be his own possession, so they must maintain their holy identity by not intermarrying with the nations. Thus, in the major and minor decisions of life, Israel was constantly reminded that she was different, that she was holy, set apart for God's service. Quote. Again, we remember that Calvin said that the ritual law was a tutelage. It was intending to teach lessons about the rudiments of biblical faith. And this is a rudiment. What God separates must stay separate, just as what God joins must stay joined. Being God's people means learning about boundaries and respecting those boundaries. And that lesson was driven home through certain mundane rituals and routines. All right, in verse 20, the conversation moves to matters involving a slave girl. This material is presented here because it has to do with crossing boundaries that ought not to be crossed. The key phrase here is assigned to another. There are boundaries in life that should be observed. Sexual temptations sometimes entice us to transgress those boundaries, and when that happens, a guilt offering must be made and compensation paid. In verses 23 to 25, it's talking about transgressing food boundaries. 
Trees aren't supposed to have their fruit plucked in the first three years. So you must learn to control your appetite so as to respect that boundary. Again, if you know what you're looking for, it becomes very easy to spot the educational function of the ritual aspects of the law. And we begin to see them woven into and presented alongside of the moral law, the one illustrating and commending the other. Verse 26. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. This whole section of laws, beginning at verse 19, is sometimes labeled miscellaneous duties by scholars. We had the laws about mixture and boundaries, and now we have some laws about pagan practices, starting here in verse 26. Pagans drink blood in their religious rituals. Obviously, God's people don't want to have anything to do with that. We've already talked about how the blood of sacrificial animals is to be treated. Now here we learn a little bit about why that was so carefully described. We mustn't even look like we are behaving like pagans. We also mustn't get involved with omens or fortune tellers. At best, such practices are foolish, and at worst, they open the door to the demonic, so give them a wide berth. We're also not to engage in pagan burial rites. Verses 27 to 28 are generally understood as prohibiting the Israelites from mimicking the self-disfiguring rituals of the pagans who have no hope. We mustn't do that. We are, after all, the children of God, made in God's image. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have tremendous dignity. And as Christians, we would add, we have tremendous hope. So, our burial rituals should seek to communicate all of that. Now, of course, people will always ask, does this mean I can't get a tattoo? Well, strictly speaking, these verses are not prohibiting tattoos as body art, but rather tattoos as burial rituals. So I think it's saying that God's people should not mourn like those who have no hope. I think Christians should be very careful about turning their bodies into living tombstones. Having the name or face of a departed loved one inscribed on your body seems to communicate extreme grief and the absence of hope the very thing we are being told not to do here. So the spirit of this commandment actually translates pretty well into certain aspects of modern burial practice, and we would be wise to pay attention to that. I'm not sure it says anything about body art per se, and since Christians are not under the law of Moses as a binding covenant, they would want to extract these principles and apply them afresh in a New Testament context guided by the Holy Spirit and in conformity with any New Testament teaching. To do that, I would consult with what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 about the way we mourn as believers, and then also 1 Corinthians 6, 20, where he tells Christians, glorify God in your body. A Christian should look like he or she belongs wholly to God. I'll leave it to the Holy Spirit and to your conscience to determine how to apply that in terms of specifics. Verse 29, do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Here we're talking about sacred prostitution, which was a common practice among the Canaanites. We won't do that, God says. We won't give our daughters to that disgusting practice, and we won't defile the worship of the tabernacle with it either. 
Thanks be to God. Verse 31. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. God's people don't get their spiritual guidance from demons or those who talk to the dead. We attend to his word. Verse 32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. God's people respect the old. They respect wisdom. They're not obsessed with youth and novelty as so many in our culture today are. Isaiah 3.5 suggests that a culture which fails to honor their senior citizens is on the brink of destruction. A warning I believe we should attend to here in the West. Verse 33, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God's people love one another, but they also love outsiders, the alien, the migrant, the stranger. There are lines, obviously, there are insiders and outsiders, but those lines are not there to designate who receives kindness and who doesn't. Rather, kindness and justice overflow the boundaries of the covenant community to embrace and care for those outside. We do that for others because the Lord did that for us. Thanks be to God. Verse 35. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's people also insist on fairness in the marketplace. Their behavior is not a Sunday-only kind of thing. They take it to work with them. They take it to the mall. They are ambassadors and image bearers wherever they go and wherever God sends them. Verse 37. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. This is what it means to be God's people, Old Testament and New Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Luke 6, 46. To know the Lord is to follow the Lord, is to obey the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at IntoTheWord.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type into the word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.